0: If you want to see more of my content, follow my personal page at Real 14 on Twitter. Go follow Diamond_Digest underscore Digest and check out diamond-digest.com. In case you can tell, I am sick. Not as bad as I was all week, but my throat is still sore. But big news to talk about, so I'm going to try and get through it as much as I can. So, in case you haven't really heard, it's over. Part one, two of Free Agency has ended. Manny Machado has decided to sign a big time, 10 year, $300 million contract with the San Diego Padres. Before I get more in depth into that, I just want to talk really quick about a move that happened recently, as in on the day of this recording. The Twins have signed Marwin Gonzalez to a two-year, $21 million contract. Uh, Marwin Gonzalez, of course, long-time, long-time Houston Astro. Used to be a primary shortstop, now plays everywhere, mainly left field. Pretty much this generation's Ben Zobris uh, can play all positions effectively while being able to swing the bat. Last year was a bit of a struggle for him, 247.000. Three twenty-four four nine slash line 2017 was his real breakout year in the year where the where the Astros won the World Series so this is a good move for the twins speaking of twins let's talk about them for a second because they made a bit of moves this offseason they signed Nelson Cruz who at 39 is still swinging the bat at a great pace as I mentioned they signed Marlon Gonzalez they also signed Blake Parker, decent reliever for the Angels the past two years, to a one-year deal. They they signed Jonathan Scope. They're going to get back Michael Pineda this year. Um, Ronald Torres is going to be a good clubhouse presence. They're twins in a lot. And, of course, this is a team that still has Max Kepler. They still have Eddie Rosario. Uh, they're still hoping on a breakout season from Byron Buxton. They saw Miguel Sano. They saw Jorge Polanco. They actually extended Polanco and Kepler. Only thing that's holding this team back is, is the rotation and bullpen. So the Twins, with the moves they made this offseason, including Marvin Gonzalez, they could very well win the AL Central. Now, I know how we make fun of the AL Central for being like the basement. Of Major League Baseball divisions, but um, the Indians, with their avoidance of training Coy Kluber or Trevor Bauer, they're still a very good team in the American League Central. And I would guess that they'll win about 85, 88 games, something in that range. But the Twins developed a team that can compete with the Indians in that division. So that's gonna be a fun race to watch. Uh, and speaking of the AL Central, where you know the Tigers, they they're just blowing it up as we speak. The Royals, they're moving on from their World Series core. And we'll talk about the White Sox a little bit later. And I think you all know why. Um so let's so let's talk about May Machado. Uh, before I talk about the Padres and how this affects them their their team going forward. I Think it's only important that I give you the New York opinion Because in case you didn't know, I'm a Yankee fan. I Would have loved to see Machado in Pintraps, but you know what? It's whatever The Yankees are still a very good team with or without him But first things first May Machado gave the most Oblivious hints they want to be Yankee the Yankees had that 90 minute meeting uh, and then they had that dinner for the most part uh, it was assumed that if the if the price dropped the Yankees were going to come right back in the sweepstakes what the hell happened because minutes after Machado signed the reports were going around saying the Yankees never made an official offer The one thing I'm going to assume is that Manny Machado was coming into this offseason looking for the biggest contract in history. Because that's apparently the vibe that the Yankees got during that dinner. That he wanted to make more than John Carl Sand. There was no budging for that. And all offseason teams were hesitant to go up to that price. Um, The White Sox went to 8 years and $250 million. The Phillies, their GM, said that they weren't willing to go to three hundred million when it was all said and done. Eventually, at the end of the day, the Padres were the only team willing to offer ten years, and they were the only team willing to offer three hundred million. I also believe that Mendoza really wants to be a Yankee, like. You know how he grew up idolizing Alex Rodriguez. You saw the stuff that happened with the Instagram, uh following everyone from the Yankees, including the Yes Network, liking pictures of himself in the Yankee uniform, telling his friends that he would sign with the Yankees if the office were close. There's no way you can tell me that the that uh, Machado wasn't trying to be Yankee. But the one thing that triumphs over your dreams is money. And that's what happened here. And also, let's just think for a moment. After that dinner, and let's think for a moment. After the Yankees side Troy Talisky and the Yankees side DJ Mayhew, it was in the works that the Yankees were probably not going to get Machado because at that point the Yankees payroll was pushing 170 million if I remember correctly not including arbitration players so once they got that vibe that Manny Machado wanted the biggest once the biggest contract in Major League history, the Yankees basically said, all right, let's move on. Uh, this We're not willing to go to 326 for a guy like Machado. But let's get rid of the narrative for a moment that the Yankees did not have a good offseason. They had a great offseason. Because they took that $30 million that they could have given to Machado, that they could have given to Harper, and they put it towards Adam Alvino, they put it towards improving the rotation, which was priority number one for Cashman and Steinbrenner. They put that money towards, um, they put that, that money towards a short term replacement for, for Dita Gugoris and Troy Solowiski. I don't see why the Yankees are giving him the job before you even see what he looks like in spring training, but it's whatever. They put that money towards... They put that money towards DJ LeMayu, who, at the very least, if the course effect hits him, if he turns out to be a, a utility player for the Yankees, at the very least, he's the gold glove defender. So let's get rid of this notion that the Yankees did not improve this offseason, that the Yankees all of a sudden do not compete with the Red Sox. Because let me tell you something. The Yankees made all these moves to improve their depth in the infield, to improve their starting rotation, to improve their bullpen. The Red Sox signed Nathan Volley they signed Steven Pierce, and that's about it. You know, I don't really want to go straight that far away from Machado, but let's talk about the Red Sox for a moment. They they still have that great offense, led by Mucky Betts and J.D. Martinez. Rafael Devers, he might rebound. Pierce, he could very well repeat last season. Andrew any He's still young. He can very well improve. The rotation, not going to disparage him for that either. Chris Sale at the top of the rotation. Rick Porcello and David Price as more than capable number twos and threes. And, and Eduardo Rodriguez, of course, number four starter. The one thing that's going to kill this Red Sox team is their bullpen. Because their bullpen right now relies on the hope of Ryan Brazier repeating that season he had last year. With limited workload, by the way. It depends on the hope that Matt Barnes somehow turns into a reliable closer. It and and um depends on guys like Bobby Pointer. It depends on guys like Heath Tembree. It depends on Tyler Thornburg coming back out of absolutely nowhere. Now, I'm not going to go out on the limb here and say that there's no chance the Red Sox win the division. If that bullpen is as bad as it looks to be, the Red Sox are in trouble. Big trouble. But back to Machado. And enough with the Yankees and the Red Sox. Let's talk about San Diego. So why did Manny choose San Diego? Number one, the money. I mean, at, at the end of the day, that's what it came down to. Because, because the way he looked at that press conference today, it, 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 it looked like this was not his first choice at all. He also had offers from the White Sox. He also had offers from the Phillies. And in the market, that seemed like main child, there, there was no way. Because remember, the Padres entered this sweepstakes at a very late stage. They weren't even a consideration until like January. And the White Sox had their offer on the table eight years, $250 million. The Phillies, they must have offered somewhere between $250, 275 something like that. The Yankees, of course, that they were probably talking seven years, 220 Maybe it wasn't just about the money. Maybe, for, for whatever reason, he did not like Philadelphia. He did not like the South Side of Chicago. I haven't been to either city. I can't make comments about them, though... Southern Chicago is on the news all the time. Uh, let's not get into that right now. But from what we all know... San Diego is a great city. It's a calm city. Of course, it's in California, so... It's never going to get cold. Like, ever. So I believe money was... The primary factor in it. I believe the city was also a primary factor in this decision. Or, and this is going to lead me to my next point, maybe he actually maybe it actually was considering the Padres. Because let's consider this. You can make all the jokes he wants. The Padres are going to trade Math three years. Manny Bichard is going to be irrelevant for the next 10 years, five years, because there's an opt-out clause in the middle of it. Padres are never going to be a good team. They may not be good in 2019. 2020 and further beyond, I would not be shocked. If there are legitimate contenders for the NL West. If there are legitimate contenders for a nationally pennant. Because hiding in San Diego is a bunch of youth. A bunch of it. Fernando Tatis Jr. is one of the best prospects in baseball. Probably the best prospect, not named Vladimir Guerrero. Luis Charias, number 23 prospect, 70 hitting grade. He's going to be a primary factor. Mackenzie Gore, their top pitching prospect. He's a big part of that future. Francisco Mejia, who, who, by the way, the Padres might have absolutely robbed from the Indians. There are people saying that he might be one of the best catchers of baseball in a couple of years. And you can get on to the Padres about their lack of pitching. Aside Aside from Gore and Chris Padlock, there's not much pitching for the Padres in their minor league system. But they have plenty, plenty of outfielders that can, they can trade. Framiel Reyes, Franti Cordero, Hunter Renfro, Will Myers, and a couple others I can't remember at the moment. But the point is, the, the Padres have a lot of trade assets that can, they can use, specifically in the outfield. And you can say whatever you want about Eric Hosmer. First of all, he's a great clubhouse presence. Second of all, second of all, let's not assume that he won't rebound from what he did last year. The Padres, if everything goes right these next few years, they're going to be a legit team. Now I know prospects, they're in the definition. Perspective. They can play up to their potential. They can play above their potential. They can play below their potential. They can fall off the map. That's why they call prospects. But if you have ten minor league prospects that are the best, that are the best 100 in baseball, and five of them make it, you're done well. If Fernando Tatis Jr., if Luis Urias, Max Z. Gore, if Fraudmill Reyes if those four all make it and that's your core foundation you've done a good job and you have Manny Chow a premier third baseman and Eric Cosmer a clubhouse leader to build alongside those four players you've done a good job so enough of this notion that the Padres are going to be completely irrelevant, that Manny is going to opt out, or they're going to trade him to the Yankees after year three. Because if everything goes right, Dodgers, look out. Rockies, look out. Braves, look out. Everyone in the National League, everyone, everyone in baseball, look out. Now, real quick before I talk about um, Bryce Harper, let's talk about the White Sox. Now, as a Yankee fan, I am compliant that the Yankees did not to make Machado because at the end of the day, the Yankees are a World Series contender with or without Machado. The White Sox needed either Maeve Machado or Bryce Harper or both because they are in the exact same position as a Padres, a good mind like season just waiting for another big piece to maybe accelerate that process. And we make fun of White Sox fans for the fact that they didn't, get, they did that they didn't get Manny Machado after they were absolutely so sure that after they overhyped every single thing that happened this offseason, Manny Machado wearing black and white gloves. Oh look, he's going to White Sox. May Machado getting black and white shoes, he's going to White Sox. May Machado wearing a White Sox hat, he's going to White Sox. As much as they overhyped everything about Machado, you gotta feel bad for him, for the White Sox. Now I want to talk a little bit about Bryce Harper. Because his situation is still up near. Now, before today, John Heyman had reported that he declined $300 million offers from multiple teams. And I believe it's ridiculous, but I see why he's doing it. He wants more than what Machado got, because that was the whole notion of the offseason. Machado was going to sign first to a $300 million deal, and then Bryce Harper was going to leap over that. But now, Buster Only is reporting that Bryce Harper does not have $300 million offers on the table. And when I say on the table, I mean like they haven't been offered. So one of the two is lying about the reporting right now. Now, Only was wrong or or misled by the seven years of $175 million offered by the White Sox. Because as we already know, the White Sox offered eight years to $250 million. But one thing's for sure. Whether he has multiple $300 million on the table, whether he doesn't have any $300 million offers on the table, the White Sox are out. Like, like the day after Machado signed, the White Sox basically... Basically, stated we're not going after Bryce Harper. I'm not sure if the White Sox are out because they're not interested in going over 300 million or over John Carl Sanders' contract, whichever is the case. But as far as we're concerned, the White Sox are officially like, officially out on Bryce Harper. The one team that's not out on Bryce Harper is Philadelphia Phillies. We were assuming after like late December that Bryce Harper was a formality to the Phillies. But reports have come out from John Heyman, and these came out early in the offseason season, too. I'm not sure if you remember it, but there were reports that Bryce Harper is unsure about going to Philadelphia. But the Phillies are the most engaged team in the Harper Sweet Stakes right now because they're the team that have met with him, they're the team that have negotiated contracts with him to this point. They're about the only team that we have heard from fake and real sources that they were close to signing him. So the Phillies might lose out on Bryce Harper if he really is unsure about Philadelphia. So with that all down on the table, when is Bryce Harper going to sign? Because right now, with spring training games starting with the uh, Mariners and Athletics earlier today, this is a time where Bryce Harper has to sign. because you see it every single offseason. Neil Walker signed with the Yankees early March. He started off the season terribly. Steven Drew a couple years back, he re-signed with the Red Sox in May of 2014. He was absolutely terrible to start the season. Greg Holland and Jake Arrieta both signed mid-March. Jake Arrieta started off the season slow for the Phillies. Greg Holland was terrible with the Cardinals. Terrible. The only exception you you can make is J.D. Martinez who signed days before spring training last year and of course proceeded to have an MVP year even though the writers didn't believe so. The point is now is the time to sign and Bryce Harper has to get this done as soon as possible. Because he's heading into that Into that period where he is, there is a guarantee drop off. And that's not something you want to happen after you already had a down season last year. All right, so now I'm going to move on to the random thoughts segment of the podcast. And the two things on my mind right now. they're about tweets. An old man tweeting and a young player's gesture. Let's start with the old people. So after it was reported that Manny Machado was signing on Tuesday, excuse me, Wednesday, Aubrey Hall have took to Twitter to say, and I quote, Congrats to Manny. My first seven years versus Machado. Who are you signing? Average high 282. Home run Machado, home run Machado, one seventy five to one fifty two. RBI's me four fifty five to five thirteen. OBP me three forty two to three thirty five. Slug percentage Machado 47 to four sixty eight. Identical stats. Westside was ten years younger. Thought this would be a fun comparison for the MLB fans. Matt Fizo on Twitter replied, "Hey Mike Petrello." Who, by the way, is leading the StatCast era right now. Big time stats analyst for MLB.com. In case you missed, it was a part of the StatCast, versus, the StatCast broadcast of the NL game last year. Any chance you can make the stop? Referring to Aubrey Huff's tweets using quote-unquote basic stats. Aubrey Huff replies, war, spin rate, launch angle. Who gives a bleep? I'm a home run, average home runs kind of guy, but the most important thing I look at, above all these geeky new stats that are created by nerds that once be bigs but couldn't, is he a good teammate and does he have heart? Let's digest for a moment, and I'm gonna go backwards. First thing, good teammate and heart. Now, uh, the heart thing you can question all you want because the hustle stuff—it's it, it, whatever. Everyone has whatever they have to say about hustling in the game. But to say that Manny Machado is not a good teammate, Jonathan Scope literally cried when Manny Machado was traded to the Dodgers. Steve Pierce went out to say that Manny Machado was one of the greatest teammates I've ever been with. And of course, there's all the contradictory reports out um, after the signing about how he forced how he basically pushed Chase, Chase Utley to retirement. That stuff. I mean, come on now. This stuff is being reported after he signed. I'm going to take that with the grain of salt. So that's that. Second of all, I'm not going to be... I'm not the guy that likes the advanced stats all the time. Ward, sprint rate, launch angle. I mean, I, I appreciate them. I'm just not going to make that my primary argument. But at the end of the day, all these old ball players are acting like math does not exist in baseball. And I'm a home run, average, RBIs kind of guy. Okay, average. I believe in batting average in terms of bats, ball. That's why I still do look out average in strikeouts. But at the end of the day, if you're not getting on base, if you're hitting, if you're hitting 270, which is a respectful batting average, but your on-base percentage is 290, that takes away the 270 that you hit. Because that right there shows that you're over-aggressive at play. Now if you're hitting 300 and your OBP is 340, how am I going to fault you? And I said that last podcast. RBI. Now, the, the the classic myth right now in baseball is that RBIs is a good indicator on how clutch you are. Mike Trout hit over 330 with Runs in scoring position last year. He had 79 RBIs because nobody on his team was getting on base to perform. And the fact that he was hitting first and second in the lineup, but that's besides the point. Meanwhile, his teammate Justin Upton had 85 rubies. He hit 197, OPS 657, with runners in scoring position. But according to RBIs, Justin Upton is a more clutch hitter than Mike Trout. So RBIs are not even close to an indicator of how good a player is individually. And then he has the temerity, the audacity, the immediate goal, to talk about to start complaining about nerds that want to be in the bigs but couldn't. You see, this is my problem. While I'm not the biggest proponent of advanced metrics, the people that just go on and say, Well, these are just created by nerds, they don't matter. You're just, oh my God! The, those people are just the most um, ignorant people in baseball today, and th- they're part of the reason why baseball can't advance. Because the same people that are complaining about WAR, the same people that are complaining about spin rate, the same people that are complaining about launch angle, are the people that are complaining about bat flips, are the people that are complaining about pitchers showing emotion. Like, come on! Now, if you wanted to be a home run average RBI guy, no one's stopping you. But the only thing you're doing is you're hating change. You are hating a change from stats that do not work, like ribbies, to stats that that first of all tell you what a player might do in the future, like W O B A, those stats, launch angle, spin rate. But you know what this is a whole discussion to be having another podcast. We have the energy for this type of rant. Let's let's move on from old guys complaining about new stuff to new players. And that's Alex Bregman. I'm going to be honest, Alex Bregman might have become my new favorite player. Because before, he had a slightly worse Trevor Bauer um, effect on me. He had the effect of a de-nozzle on me previously. But earlier this week, Around the same time, a child was signed. Um, Rob Friedman, the owner of Pitching Ninja and the owner of Flack Round Hitting slash Pitching, he posted a video of a nine year old named Jax taking hacks. By the way, greatest swing I've ever seen out of someone that young. Alex Bregman, Bregman said that to fly him out to Atlanta and I'll go ahead and hit with him. Today, Rob gave us the play-by-play of what happened. The flight, Jackson motion, and then the videos, where Alex Brangman is literally giving, giving him hitting instruction. This man took time out of his day, out of a busy training schedule, to work with a nine-year-old kid. That is amazing. That is absolutely amazing. So those are my random thoughts. Sort of ran on a little long because um, Aubrey Huff's tweets got me all riled up. But if you didn't or did like Alex Bregman before this moment, I, there's no way you can't like Alex Bregman after that with that that conclude this episode of Inside Heat if you like the show leave a review in the comments if you are on iTunes once again if you want to follow my, more of my content go follow me on Twitter at 14 and go follow Diamond Digest on Twitter at Diamond underscore Digest or go on World Wide Web Diamond-Digest.com next po- podcast Bryce Harper I hope would've signed We'll talk a little bit about some spring training news that come out, for example. For example, Clayton Kershaw, in my opinion, the best pitcher of the decade. He is um he is taking some time off with some with some arm issues. And you have to wonder, is this the beginning of of the downside of Clayton Kershaw's career? We'll talk about all that and more. On next episode, Evan Saheed. Until then, I'm signing off.